This is Monica Perez here with a very special guest I met or got connected with through Freedom Fest. I've done a few conversations since coming out of Freedom Fest. It was a great experience. And this is going to be very interesting and fun. This is Connor Boyack. He is the author of Tuttle Twins, the so far 12 part book series for kids, which brings out, it's so fantastic. It brings out all of the foundational libertarian writings, classics in a way that's totally accessible to the kids. I really want to get into that. But first, and also he is the president of the Libertas Institute in Utah. And uh, there's some really interesting things they're heading. So we're going to, we are going to do a rapid fire session, but first I'd like to say hello to Connor and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are. Thanks, Monica. Appreciate being on. I, uh, <laughs> I I took kind of a winding road to get into the life that I now have. I actually was a web developer back in the day and just on the side developed this kind of interest in political and economic issues. I started reading books well after college and I found myself wanting to get more involved, but not really finding any group that I really clicked with or resonated with. And so that led eventually to me starting our own think tank, trying to change laws We've now changed dozens. We've passed a ton of first in the nation laws uh, that we're now helping other states pass as well. So, uh, you know, and frankly, my red pill moment was, I don't know if you ever heard of the documentary called uh, America Freedom to Fascism. Oh, yes. By, Aaron by Rousseau. the late Aaron Rousseau. Yeah. So I was uh, watching that in a little private screening right as it came out in a library room with like 12 people. I was invited, I think, by my uncle. And there was this guy in this documentary that made a ton of sense. Well, it was Ron Paul. It was my first exposure to Dr. Paul. So I, I Googled Ron Paul and then kind of the rest is history. Wow. Well, he features in one of your books, which I found very right. interesting. So I want to just hit the books because first, and then I want to talk about some current events, but I, I've read most of the of these books. I loved, I mean, you really, you had me with the first one, which is called the law. It's, it's basically a treatment for kids. What is the age range? Is it nine to 12 or it's kind of five to 12. We, we found a lot of success, even with five and six year olds. Once you get 13, 14, like a lot of them will still actually read the books, even though it's beneath them format wise, but most teenagers have never encountered these ideas before. And so we end up having this very broad age range, but kind of our sweet spot is the five to 12. I actually found it useful because I do try to simplify these messages. So things that are complicated, like you have one about the creature from Jekyll Island, which is the Fed and inflation. And these these are concepts that are, uh, you know, kind of like it takes two levels of understanding. It's very hard to simplify. And you really have. And I so I can see the value in it but it is totally accessible to the younger kids. Funny that it should start with the law though, because my family, I, when I discovered the law, I called my aunt, my father's already dead, but I called my aunt who was his sister. And I said, Oh, aunt Margaret, you're going to love this book. You wouldn't believe it. It's just perfect. It's perfect in every way. And she said, my dear girl, my father gave every one of us kids a copy of the law for our 12th birthday. 12. Wow. So back in the day, I think kids were ready for bigger ideas sooner, but it is exactly, I think at this age group that those concepts are understood. And there was, so there's just so many actually wrote down every one of the, of the books and authors that you hit. It's Bastiat, Mm -hmm. I Pencil, which is a great one. It's just about the complexity and the importance of economics to get um, just a simple pencil. Uh, It it is, my favorite is John Taylor Gatto. There's just so many and 
I highly recommend them and they're very well put, but I know a written executed that everything's perfect about it in my opinion. But I noticed when I, when I was looking into your work that I, I saw a funny article that said socialist critique of Tuttle twins drives record sales. And I thought that was funny. And I wanted to see, I wanted to hear if you, I mean, I'm assume you're familiar with that theme, what the critique was and what your answer is, yeah. because of course, something like this is going to go to the top of the list on any Google search. And it's going to say like, beware libertarian ideas. Right. You know? <laughs> Caution, dangerous ideas. <laughs> um, this there, So there's a magazine called Current Affairs. It's a socialist magazine uh, written by four socialists. And uh, they dedicated a lengthy article in one of their magazines some months ago to attacking our Tuttle Twins books. They even had an, an illustrator create a, kind of like, what do you call it, satire, like mocking illustrations that took ours and made them look all demented. And, and, uh, and anyways, they clearly invested a bunch of resources into this little hit piece. They called it like this atrocious series that's indoctrinating kids with, you know, uh, libertarian propaganda and woe is me, we're raising more Jeff Bezoses and that's awful for our world. And so, I saw this article get published. It hit my Google alert uh, when it came out and I'm reading this thing. And most people in my position, like this is my baby, right? Like this is what I've been spending a lot of time on. Elijah, my partner, right? We've invested a ton of time into this thing. He's the illustrator. And most people in my position reading this article would probably be like, oh, like they're attacking me. No fair. I had a smile on my face <laughs> because I, I recognized that this was a marketing gift. I sent that article to hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> on our email list all of our social media, I said, guys, check this out. And by the way, if you don't have the books yet, go get them, use the coupon code. This isn't active anymore, but at the time, the active coupon code we created was Current Affairs, the name of their magazine. <laughs> and we said it got I, like, you know, some big discount or whatever. We sold 10,000 books in 24 hours using that coupon code. And so then on social media, we would tag Current Affairs and like, hey guys, thanks for sell, uh, helping us sell so many books. And they hated it. They eventually created a, a coupon code Tuttle Twins to help sell their magazine. And they tried to like do to us what we had done, which didn't work because we were the victim. They were the aggressor, so to speak. And so they had no sympathy, like, and socialists can't really sell things like a capitalist can anyways. Um, anyway, so we had a lot of fun with that. And I, every once in a while, we'll tag them like still on social media, like, hey guys, you want to do a follow-up article and help us sell more books? <laughs> and uh, to date they haven't. Well, when I, so when I saw that, when that was the first thing that came up, I thought, well, I wonder, and it said like controversy. And so, so I wonder what the controversy is. I always like to know that stuff. So I couldn't really find it. So I thought, well, let me read the books. I'm sure if I read every one of these books, I'll be able to figure out what the controversy is. And I read all the books or almost all of them, a lot of them. And I certainly, um, if not cover to cover, just uh, browse every one of them. And I couldn't find anything that wasn't totally consistent with the authors or ideas that it, you were trying to expound on. There's no hidden message. It was just a straight up libertarian message, exactly well put for that age group. And it was funny because, so then I realized like, obviously they just object to libertarianism and, and or those ideas anyway, free market ideas. It's not like you're promoting cronyism. It's, right. it's just, it's a mom and pop entrepreneurship is what you're really looking at when with these principles apply to that, just basic yep. economic liberty. But when, so what made me laugh though, is that when they said it's like propaganda for kids and I, and having like, oh, I have kids. I do a show that's a daily news show all I see, it's called, my show is called The Propaganda Report. 
all I see is a nonstop stream of propaganda with every social media outlet is basically propaganda for kids. The difference is that this, you have to kind of sneak to your kids, your parent, the parents are, are trying to parents who love their children, who want them to be able to think, who want them to understand the value of liberty are using this to inform their kids. That is, that is, I mean, if you go to the root word propaganda, propagate, whatever, but Right. But what they do is really sinister, backhanded, undermining true individual worth and principles of right and wrong for mm -hmm. a collective goal or agenda that they have separately. Now, that is what's insidious about the kind of propaganda that is 90. It's 100 percent of the propaganda of the mainstream. Now they've completely made anything like this. Uh, something that you have to seek out personally, deliver to your school, teach to your kids. I mean, it's just funny that they would have the audacity to to call it propaganda, given what. Oh yeah, I mean, they, they, they clearly just don't like us and don't like our ideology, so it's kind of framed within that narrative. But what's interesting about everything you just said, Monica, is like what we've what we found with our community is, and and I think extrapolating it more broadly to parents in general. So many parents struggle to know what they can do, right? They know their kids. They know they themselves are being bathed in propaganda and they struggle to figure out how to articulate which ideas are right and which are, things are truths and what they can do. And so many of these parents, they're products of public school. They've, you know, they're newly learning themselves. And so the fun thing for us, which frankly was an accident, was that we're like, hey, let's create some kids books. Let's teach kids. The accident was we didn't realize how many parents would be learning alongside their children for the first time quite often so many of these ideas and so the whole family together is learning and discussing these ideas and that's been awesome because when it's a family learning experience and you get those dinner table discussions and you're really kind of hey we're at the grocery store look that's why there's 15 kinds of potato chips it's because of spontaneous order right like what family ever like thinks about that or talks about that but when mom and dad and kids are learning together you get a lot more retention and application of these ideas and it's and it's funny because these every every one of these stories that I encountered in your books was something that you could kind of learn on the playground. Like you could right. in, in these kids can access these kids, these little cartoon characters in your book are living in the world of kids that age. And they and that's how I feel about I, I always feel this way about psychology and sociology, that they were kind of hijacked or even established in order to make sure that just your simple experiences, the evidence of your own eyes wasn't informing your understanding of how the world works. Well, there are hidden reasons, there are collective things, there's social forces, psychological forces. Yes, there are social and psychological forces, but mm -hmm. stuff that you can witness in your own everyday life are so powerful because that is truth. That's just truth on its face. And these, these books do bring those experiences to life and people can validate them in their own every day just by observing once it's isolated the kind of um, cause and effect relationship. So it's very valuable in my opinion. So, and then I just noticed, but I, I think this is maybe a new thing. I don't, I haven't looked at it yet, but that there's a magazine too. Can you tell me about that? So we've been doing these books for a while. We now even have books for toddlers. We have books for teenagers. We're really trying to basically create a content empire that helps kids of any age uh, learn through a variety of formats uh, the ideas of freedom. So we got the books, we got books for different ages, we've got a podcast, we're coming out with an animated cartoon series next month. The magazine is a brand new product that we launched. 
Um, that's at TuttleTwins.com slash magazine. This is a monthly magazine. I mean, like when I was growing up, it was Boys Life or like Highlights Magazine. Yes, so I many of these publications have gone woke and they got all kinds of silly stuff in there now. And this is this is for us a way to teach kids on a more ongoing basis. A lot of these ideas tying them to current events. You know, so for example, the October magazine with Halloween and everything is tied to this idea of monsters and the creature from Jekyll Island and <laughs> Leviathan and all these like scary monsters in our day, right? Like, you know, dictators and so forth. So everything is kind of thematic and we can use kind of this ongoing publishing opportunity to expose kids on a more frequent basis to what's going on in the world, how the world really works. And so we just launched that. Um, and there's been a huge response already for it. So we're super, super excited to, again, just add like another format so that, I mean, some kids don't like to read. Okay, great. We got audiobooks, right? Or just listen to the podcast or watch the cartoon when it comes out. Or some kids love to read. And, and so we just, depending on how your kid likes to learn or, or how old they are, we want to have something for everyone eventually so that uh, we can just expose as many kids as possible to these foundational ideas. And how, this is maybe a personal question, but how did you kind of have the confidence to to go down this path? Because it's very obviously well done. I know you said you spent a lot of time and effort along with your partner, the illustrator, Elijah Stanfield. Um, how did you kind of get the confidence? Was there anybody you knew who, who you know, any organization that you had yeah. already been established with? Um, I think it's fair to say that we are ambitious and naive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, we don't know what we don't know, but we'll figure it out along the way. And honestly, when we did the first book, it was just a test. It was like, look, we don't know if this will turn anything. This will be fun. Let's do it. Throw it out there. And I remember I was at Freedom Fest. I had a booth, uh, 2014. The first book had just come out. We're sitting there selling the book. We had launched it online. You know, I'm getting an order every like 30 or 40 minutes for a book or whatever. No one knows what this is. It's a brand new thing. There's no brand. There's no recognition. There's no nothing. So I'm putting it out through my network and whatnot. I'm sitting behind the Freedom Fest booth and I get another little notification on my phone that I got an order. I look down. It's Ron Paul and his wife, Carol, ordering 50 copies of the book for all of their grandkids. I'm like, okay, I've made it. You know, like this is the guy that got me into the movement. And now he's clearly given validation that there's something to this. So we, we sold a lot of the first book. And to us, that was a signal like, okay, let's do it again. Let's do a second book. Let's do a third. And only over time did we start to think like more strategically about like, how, how much can we lean into this rather than just like, hey, let's put out some books and it'll be fun. It's like, how can we think very intentionally, what else can we do? And how can we turn this into like a massive campaign to do a lot more good? That is a very, that that's a, an inspiring moment. I can't imagine the level of validation that would come across seeing that Ron oh, Paul by your pirate. Wow. I interviewed him once like that to me was the highlight of my career. Awesome. So, uh, so I wanted to turn this, oh, I, I, people should know that, um, your gal at Libertas very generously sent me a promo code, Monica, all caps, to get, I think, 40% off the set of books. And I was so, I was felt really um, privileged that she sent me a whole set. And I'm really deciding whether I should save them like 30 years till I have grandkids or <laughs> should I give them to the little elementary school my kids went to that. And I, I think I'm going to have to give them to the elementary school nice. and buy another set for my grandkids. But um, we'll anyway, use coupon so code Monica when you Monica, buy your set. <laughs> that's right. Monica, all caps. So, but I, I did, I wanted to talk about some of the articles that I've seen on it's, it's libertas.com or libertas.org. Oh, dot org. Libertas. Yeah. Libertas.org. Oh, yes. 
I should. And oh, it's Libertas. She, well, she's uh, the so, goddess of what? Are we yeah, doing? the goddess of liberty. It's a dead language. No one like. There's two schools. Oh of thought. right, you it's don't know. Libertas, That's right. or it's yes, it's like the like Italian. Italian libertas. always puts right. the stress on the second to last right. syllable. So. It exactly. would be Libertas. Very good. Thank you. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> so it's now, now everyone knows very clearly that it's a libertas.org. And, um, but some of the, some of the issues and positions aren't hundred percent. Like I'm basically an anarcho-capitalist. I consider myself a philosophical anarchist. I feel like we're kind of past ideology now because of the corruption, the world power, the hijacking of every elected official and even, grassroots organizations that we're just ideology may just be a way to divide us while the evil overlords take over everything. But there, I still do like to talk ideology and I do really believe in the process. We still have a process in this country based on both the constitution and your state and local law that if people do go through that process, it does make a difference whether it's winning lawsuits or changing laws. So there were three issues I wanted to hit on if we can squeeze them in. One is, I know that you, you, know, you started by saying that you have made a difference by getting laws changed. And one in particular, most recently, was about the um, Salt Lake mask mandate for school children. Can you tell a little bit about that with an eye of kind of giving people an inspiration to how you can make a change using that example? Yeah, I mean, I'm a washed up web developer. Like I, I don't have any, you know, a, a law degree or an economic degree or like anything like that. I've just, as one person trying to get involved has has just, you know, earned a seat at the table by just showing up to meetings, meeting people, developing relationships, uh, learning how to read laws, learning how the process works. Um, if a washed up web developer can do it, anyone can do it. Um, so Libertas is a think tank. We, we are in the heart business of changing hearts, minds and laws. And part of that is like when this stuff happens, right? You get some mayor coming out and saying, oh, we're going to do this mask mandate or before it was lockdowns. And so then you get all these business owners freaking out, all these families freaking out. What do you do? I, I have no idea what to do. These people don't know how the process works. They don't know who to talk to. Um, and so for us, it's like, look, we've developed a relationship with the legislators. We can go talk to them and say, here's this problem. We have an idea. We'd like to restrict this. And ultimately, that's what we did in Utah. That's what many groups across the country have uh, done is figuring out how the process works, how you can get involved. One thing I'll share is uh, there's a website called spn.org. That stands for State Policy Network. And this is kind of a national association of all of the right of center think tanks across the country working at a state and local level. And so what's nice about this is if you're libertarian, conservative, you know, anarchist, whatever, like you tend to sympathize more with the right of things. And so these are groups that are like Libertas have figured out how to get involved in the political process, how to channel like public input and, and rancor into productive policy reform. And so you can go to that spn.org, use the map, find the group or groups in your state, you know, reach out to them, follow them on social media, attend their events, uh, reach out and say, hey, I've got this problem, this legal problem, or here's what I want to fight. And they'll, it, it, even if they're not going to get involved, oftentimes they'll connect you with like, oh, you know, like we do this all the time. Hey, that's not really our issue. We're not involved in that. But 
I know this one legislator and that's like his pet issue. Let me connect the two of you. Um, and so they can be very helpful in, in just getting involved. And then it becomes very productive for people because they feel like they have an outlet through which they can actually try and seek reform. It's not just like shaking your fist or venting on Facebook or or you know showing up at a city council meeting that you know no one cares what you're going to say because you don't have a relationship with anyone there to actually persuade them any different. Um, it is a business that requires you to build those relationships and then leverage them to try and persuade them to do something different. So, SPN.org, what does that stand for? State Policy Network. Okay. And just a bigger picture question, your opinion, I'd like to know, is it, do you think that somebody who's really distraught over how bad it's gotten over the past year and a half, do you recommend trying to kind of consolidate by moving out of the really egregious red coastal cities like I, or blue coastal cities like I live in LA? Like, should I move to Utah or should I try <laughs> to fight here? Like, like, there's a Catholic principle that you're not supposed to leave your parish. You're supposed to fight for it. Sure. And I wonder what your opinion is on that. I honestly waffle back and forth between the two. I do think there's strength in numbers. Everyone loves to be around like-minded people. Granted, the internet has made it easy for people like you and me who live elsewhere to still connect and online communities. And so that can kind of supplement the need to like live in physical proximity to like-minded people. Um, but I am a believer in this concept of like lift where you stand, right? It's like, if we're going to lift a heavy object, you know, we're all on different sides and each of us need to do our part. And if one person's slacking, then, you know, I have to shoulder the load uh, a bit differently. And so I do like that idea of like your parent, your community, like try and make the difference where you can. Granted, you know, you read Atlas Shrugged and like, you know, <laughs> there comes a point where you got to go to the gulch and you just got to, you know, flee society. So I don't know. I, I kind of, I think I have a foot in both camps. Yes, I, I do go back and forth too. And the, the Atlas Shrugged, I do wonder sometimes, is that the right answer? What What's really um, the lesson there? And it, it, But I, I am I'm a, of the mind that anything that has a lot of good information, good lessons, even if it's a limited hangout, I take, I get more out of them than they get out of me. So look at, read the, read the book and evaluate what, what your position is. But I, I'm with you. I do go back and forth on that. The, uh, another thing that I had, I used to have a radio show and I was contacted by, I think it was called Conservatives Against the Death Penalty. And I w had come to the conclusion right about then that the, the things that actually were subject to the death penalty included treason. And if you have a government that's been hijacked by people who do not obey the constitution, then perhaps loyalty to the constitution, they who, owe, uh, who control the guillotine would consider you to be treasonous. And I realized that the, the state cannot be trusted with the power of life and death in uh, uh, pursuant to the death penalty. So I would promote what those guys were doing. And I saw that on libertas.org. You yeah. too, uh, if I understood it correctly, and I just thought maybe you could give just a, um, a thought or two on how you came to that position and, um, you know, what, sure. you know, the message you want to send on that. Yeah. I used to support the death penalty. I grew up a Republican, generic, conservative, whatever, and thought that, oh, the worst of the worst deserve it. The more I learned about the death penalty, the less I supported it. And frankly, that's consistent with the broader public. The more people learn about the cost, the risk to innocent life, the fact that innocent people have been killed, um, the, the fact that, you know, ongoing appeals means that you're victimizing family members, victim family members over and over because you're turning these 
murders into celebrities by having all these media appearances and constant, you know, celebrification of these people rather than locking them up, throwing them away the key. And, you know, if they're innocent later, proven innocent, they're still alive to actually, you know, free from prison. Um, and so the more I, I've learned about these things, I've come to the conclusion, like, like I actually support the death penalty in theory. I, yeah, I, I me believe, too. Right. Like, I, I believe that's an appropriate consequence for people who have killed another person. I'm not opposed to the, the, the punishment in theory. I have zero confidence in the state's ability to administer justice uh, without risking innocent life. And if it kills one innocent person at all, in my mind, it is not worth it. Uh, it's another reason why I'm so stringently anti-war or pro-peace. Um, I just think this kind of collateral consequence issue is is bogus. Um, and so in Utah, we are seeking to repeal the death penalty and replace it with alternatives uh, that can be used by prosecutors to adequately punish the worst of the worst, but avoid all the risks and problems that are inherent with capital punishment. Totally agree. Absolutely. Totally agree. I read a watched a documentary called The Thin Blue Line, which I, I found very compelling. Well, the first time I watched it, it did not change my opinion. But mm. only after I realized how many innocent people have been put to death and that there's prosecutorial misconduct simply to get to further careers and stuff. It's 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 a, it shocks the conscience. So yeah. I, I'm completely with you on that. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you about if you could, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to lead with my position, which may be different. I'm not sure, but they, I saw something called the regulatory sandbox on libertas, libertas.org. And I wanted you to tell me about that. And I, but in the context of this, I think that, and I, I'm, pretty confident that regulations are unconstitutional. Federal regulations in any case are unconstitutional. And as I'm an anarchist, but even I was raised as a minarchist by a classical liberal or traditional conservative. And I was always taught that the role of government is just basically police, army and courts. So the regulatory function is absolutely positively prone to being hijacked, that we are living that right now. And I'm wondering what the regulatory sandbox is, if it's a compromise and what your position is, if you have the time. So regulatory sandbox is basically a legal safe space for innovators. What happens with innovators is they run into these protectionist laws that the incumbent industry has gotten the government to put in place. For example, Elon Musk trying to sell Teslas directly to consumers. In tons of states, including Utah, when he started, it was illegal to do that because the car dealers had worked with lawmakers to get the law saying, you must go through car dealers. So often you get this regulatory capture where incumbent industries shape the law in a way that benefits them. But then you get this innovator that comes along, you get Uber and Lyft, or you get Airbnb or food trucks or all these different examples, and they run into these regulatory and legal problems. Regulatory Sandbox says, hey, innovators, rather than punishing you for innovation, we want you to apply to this program. And for up to two years, you're going to be shielded from any consequence for violating those old protectionist problematic laws. As long as what you're doing doesn't jeopardize public health or safety, if it's really just about these kind of like industry, regulatory, whatever, we're going to shield you from that so that you can develop your proof of concept, market your product or service. The legislature will play catch up to you and amend the law to clear out those problematic regulations that were standing in your way. But in the meantime, we're not going to punish you because you're violating them. We're going to recognize that you may do things differently. And so we want to let the law catch up to you rather than punishing you for not uh you know, jiving with a decades old, you know, regulation that never envisioned this future new way of doing things. 
Well, thank you very much for that clarification. I did not understand it, although it makes sense given that it's called the regulatory sandbox. And how can people access that? What is the what is the mechanism? Is this something that actually exists anywhere or is it something you're trying to get done? So in Utah, we passed the country's first sandbox for all industries. And now we're working across the country uh, to do this. You can go to libertas.org slash outreach and learn more about that and our effort to bring it to states all across the country. Uh, in Utah, there's going to be an application that's being set up right now for companies to then go in and just say, hey, this is the law, this is the regulation, you know, I'd like to be shielded from it. Um, so they're actively launching that program right now because the law passed earlier this year. Um, and uh, and more, more states are starting to adopt this. It's actually a, a very interesting model to a lot of lawmakers across the country. Wow, that is so awesome. Thank you so much for your time. That is Connor Boyack, TuttleTwins.com, Libertas.org. <laughs> Say it and like an Italian. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know. I have to get it through my head. I'm new, I'm new, but forever after, I will get it right, Libertas.org. <laughs> and the promo code is MONICA, all caps. Thanks so, so, so much. Thanks for your work and thanks for your time. Thank you, Monica.